Thank you for checking out the sermon at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are, and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. Once again, thanks for checking out this sermon. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. In 1896, there was a famous American architect by the name of Lewis Sullivan. And he coined a phrase that has become a dominant theory in the world of architecture. And the phrase simply says, form follows function. Form follows function. Say that out loud. Form follows function. Form is the way something looks. Function is what something is designed to do. And Sullivan began to really revolutionize the world of architecture with that idea that form follows function, teaching us that the way something looks should be driven by what something is designed to do. Function is more important than form. You say, Pastor, why the architecture lesson this morning? Well, here's why. Because that's the very heart of God when it comes to leadership inside of the local church. God is very specific in His Word about the purpose or function of leadership inside of a church. There's not much ambiguity there. God is very specific about the function of leadership. But as you study the New Testament, I believe he is intentionally not that specific when it comes to the form which leadership inside of a church takes. That's why today if you were to go visit 100 different evangelical Christian churches, let me tell you what you would find in all 100 of them you would find the principle or function of spiritual leadership. Every church that you visit is going to have a function of leadership that exists. But let me tell you what else you'd find if you visited 100 different evangelical Christian churches. You would find 100 different forms of what that leadership is going to look like. Well, how does that happen? How do we have all of these Christian churches and all of them have the principle of spiritual leadership and yet in the context of all these churches, there are all of these different forms because God in His Word is very specific about the function of spiritual leadership but I believe intentionally not as specific about the form because the major emphasis is on function or purpose of leadership. And what's interesting is in Christian circles, often the thing that divides us is the form that leadership takes and not the function. 
You say, why are we talking about this this weekend? Because if you're visiting with us, we are studying together straight through the letter of 1 Peter. If you have your Bible, I want you to open to 1 Peter chapter 5. In 1 Peter chapter 5, the first five verses of this chapter, Peter begins to speak very specifically about spiritual leadership in the church. Peter is writing to these Christians who are, we've talked about it, they're suffering, they're facing persecution. Matter of fact, he just ended chapter 4 by, by, by telling them to entrust their souls to a faithful creator in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of hardship. And then he transitions in chapter 5 to begin to talk specifically to leadership within the church. Let's read it together. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse number 1. It says, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something that in the 14-year history of hope we've never done. And it's not that we've avoided it. We just have not yet studied through a book of the Bible that addressed it this specifically. In our 14-year history, we've never done a series teaching on the principle of spiritual leadership. So this weekend and next weekend, I'm going to unpack for you these five verses. And we are going to look at what God says very specifically about spiritual leadership. Now, I want to begin by defining it because when you, when you talk about spiritual leadership, there's a lot of definitions that, that begin to kind of rumble around in our minds and a lot of concepts when you think about spiritual leadership. For example, one of my favorite definitions of spiritual leadership, one that I use all the time in teaching and training pastors, is Henry Blackaby's definition. If you've ever read his book, Spiritual Leadership, if you've not read it, I encourage you to read it. Everybody that's in leadership ought to read that book. Henry Blackaby defines leadership this way. Spiritual leadership is moving people onto God's agenda. I love that definition because it really implies two things. Number one, through the Holy Spirit of God's leading, 
leaders are to discern what is God's agenda. As a leader, it's not up to me to come up with an agenda. It's not up to me to create some vision and strategy. As a leader, first and foremost, I'm to lean into the Holy Spirit of God and discern God's agenda. And then he says, it's then the leader's responsibility by the grace of God to move people onto God's agenda. Great definition of spiritual leadership. However, for our purposes today, Blackaby's definition is too broad. Peter here is not just addressing the issue of leadership in general. Henry Blackaby's definition is a broad definition. The definition that I'm going to give you would definitely fit under that. But Blackaby's definition is trying to address all leadership in every area inside the kingdom of God. Peter here, in the flow of this letter, has been writing to these Christians. He's been encouraging these Christians. He's been giving hope to these Christians. But now Peter turns his gun to the leaders of these churches. And he begins to speak very specifically to a group of spiritual leaders within the church. He uses three different terms here interchangeably to refer to them. He calls them elders. He calls them shepherds. And he calls them those who are exercising oversight. Without getting too technical, if you did a Greek study on those three words, really all three major forms of church government come from those three words that are used interchangeably here. The word for elders, the word presbyteros. You get a Presbyterian form of church government. The word shepherd comes from the word poimen or poimeneo. It has to do with more of a congregational, a shepherding of a flock, a congregational style of church government. Then there is the, the word for exercising oversight. It's the word episkopos, which is more of an episcopal form, a hierarchical form form of church government. All the different forms of church government are rooted in the words that Peter's using here. But what's interesting here is he uses all three of the words interchangeably to refer to spiritual leaders who are shepherding God's church by exercising oversight. At Hope, the term that we use to summarize all of those is the term pastor. We use the word pastor. So what I want to do is give you a definition this morning of spiritual leadership as it applies to pastors. So that when you hear me over this weekend and next use this phrase spiritual leadership, I'm talking very specifically about the function and the office of pastors inside of a local New Testament church. So here's a definition of spiritual leadership that we're going to use for the next two weekends. Look at it on the screen. Spiritual leadership, as it refers to pastors, those uniquely called of God and given to the local church to serve by leading the church to make disciples. That's who Peter's addressing here. Peter has been writing generally, and now he turns his guns towards the pastors. Those that are uniquely called of God and given to the church to serve by leading the church to make disciples. So this weekend, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the principle of spiritual leadership. We're going to talk in some more general terms. And then next weekend, I want to look at two things. I want to look at the heart of spiritual leadership. 
and specifically the how we do that here at Hope. So we're going to this weekend talk in general some principles of spiritual leadership about uniquely called men of God that are given to the church to serve by leading the church to accomplish the mission or to make disciples. We're going to talk about some general principles. Then next weekend, we're going to get real specific and talk about the heart of those leaders, what it's supposed to look like, and then particularly for us here at Hope, how we express the principle of leadership. So let's dive in this morning. I want to give you three foundational truths. Number one, Pastors are called by God. Pastors are called by God. We're going to spend more time on it next weekend, but in verse number two, Peter uses this phrase. He says, they're to exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. That word voluntarily means to to freely choose. And here's what he's teaching us about these pastors that he's writing to. These pastors or leaders have freely chosen to follow what they know to be the will of God in their lives because God has revealed it to them by speaking into their lives. He says they're serving, they're exercising oversight as shepherds, and they're doing that because they understand that to be the will of God for their lives, and voluntarily they have freely chosen to surrender to the will of God in their lives and be a pastor. J. Oswald Sanders said it this way, look on the screen, God assigns places of spiritual ministry and leadership in his sovereign will. It's according to the will of God. Now, in one sense, in one sense, all of us are called into ministry. Remember about three weeks ago when I stood up here and I had a kitchen pot and I had a water pot? And I taught you that with that water pot, we are all called to serve. Every Listen, church is not a spectator sport. We're all called to serve. In one sense, there is a general calling. When you come to know Jesus Christ, there is a calling on your life to use your gifts to be poured into by the fellowship so that you can then pour out into the lives of other people. Every child of God. But in another sense, there is a unique calling of God to some specific roles of leadership within the church. It's not, hear me carefully, it's not that these roles are more or less important than other roles. They're just different. And there is a unique calling that goes with that. Every pastor, every pastor had a moment in his life When he heard God speak into his life, a call to ministry, and that pastor willingly surrendered to that call. When I was a freshman in college at the University of North Alabama in 1989, I've told you that's when I came to know Jesus. I was born again into relationship with God. I had grown up in the church 
but it wasn't until I was a freshman in college that I really began to understand what it meant to have a relationship with God. And I came to know Jesus. And when I came to know Jesus, I began to be consumed with knowing Him and pursuing Him, began to dig deep into His Word, and did that for a period of months. That I came to Christ in about September of 1989. And then for the next several months, God just began to grow me in my faith. I began to go deep with the Lord and just pursuing His Word and pursuing intimacy with God. And about six or eight months into that journey, I began to sense a stirring in me that the Lord was calling me to something. And now you got to understand, I had grown up in a pastor's home. I knew about pastoral ministry. I knew uh, what that looked like. And I didn't have a bad experience. Some guys that grew up in, you've heard all the stories about preacher's kids. And well, I grew up in a, a situation where my mom and dad weren't perfect people, but the same people they were at church is the same people they were at home. And they lived an authentic Christian life in front of me. And, and they, my, my dad pastored a wonderful church that loved him. It wasn't a bad experience at all. But, but having grown up in a pastor's home, I just decided I wanted to make more money than that, and so I didn't want anything to do with the ministry. So when I went to college, I went to college majoring. Some of you are going to laugh. I went to college majoring in radio, television, and film. I was actually uh, working in radio at the time. I was an on-air personality working radio, and that's what I was doing for my, my livelihood. And so that's what I was going to get my degree in. And then about three-fourths of the way through my freshman year, having come to know Jesus Christ, God began this stirring in me, and all of a sudden I sensed that maybe God was calling me to ministry. And I, I thought, surely not. That can't be what the Lord wants for me. So, so I went to my pastor at the time, whose name was Jeff Noblet, and uh, he was pastoring the church that I was attending while I was in college. And I went to Pastor Jeff, who had graduated from seminary, and I said, Pastor, I think, I don't know, but I think God may be calling me into to, to ministry to preach. And, and he looked at me, and he said, Vance, when you know, you'll know. I thought, you've been to seminary, and that's the best you've got? Because here's what he heard me say. I think, I think God may be calling me. And what he was communicating in that moment was, listen, son, when God calls you, you won't think. You won't be able to do anything else but that. But still, at the time when I heard it, I was kind of frustrated because I wanted a book to read, a course to study, three steps to follow, and he gave me a when you know, you'll know. Well, about two or three months later, I was sitting in a church service where he was preaching. And Jeff, he wasn't preaching out of this passage of Scripture, but in the middle of his sermon, he flipped over, and here's what he read out of Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. Look on the screen. He said, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, because I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. 
Then the Lord stretched out his hand and he touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overflow, to build and to plant. And as soon as he read those words, I don't know another thing he said in his sermon. But the Holy Spirit of God took that passage of Scripture and he reached into my soul and he grabbed my heart. And in that moment, I knew if I did anything else with my life but preach the gospel, I would be living in utter disobedience to God. And I surrendered my life to the gospel ministry. Every pastor... That's what Peter's talking about when he says here that they are serving voluntarily according to the will of God. Every pastor has come to that place where they heard God speak. And let me tell you something. In ministry, there is nothing more important than a clearly defined call. Let me tell you why. Because in ministry, some days that's all you have. In ministry... You can have the highest highs and the lowest lows all in the same 24-hour period. You're walking with people who are experiencing life's great joys, and you are holding hands the other direction with people who are experiencing some of the most, some of the, some of the most difficult hardships that life has to offer. And I'm just going to be as transparent as I can be this morning. If I could... I would have quit a thousand times. And if any pastor will be honest with you, any pastor would tell you, if they could, they'd have quit a thousand times. Let me tell you what I know. I can't stop what I didn't start. You see, if I had chosen the ministry as a vocation, I could choose to do something else. But I did not choose the ministry as a vocation. The Holy Spirit of God spoke into my life, and God chose me. And I simply surrendered to that. I didn't choose it. I was called. Listen to what J. Oswald Sanders said. Love this quote. Spiritual leadership is not a calling we choose to pursue. It is a calling we choose to answer. We don't decide to become leaders. We decide to respond, and I love this, and keep responding to God's call in our lives. You ever wondered where pastors come from? Is there like a pastor factory out there somewhere? Is that what is a seminary? Is that what seminaries are where, where guys desire to do the ministry and so they choose it as a vocation? They go to seminary and seminaries like boot camp for pastors. It whips them into shape and they're just pumping pastors out of the seminary like a factory. Where do pastors come from? Let me tell you where they come from. God calls them out of local churches just like this and sets them apart for his glory. At Hope, we teach often, and I believe this with all of my heart, that every one of us have a job, skill, and passion, and that God desires to use every one of our job, skills, and passions to accomplish His mission. 
doesn't matter what your vocation is. Everybody in the room has a job, skill, or passion. And God desires to use our job, skill, and passion for the accomplishment of his mission. That is 100% correct. But it is also true that God is going to call some in a unique way to serve his church in the accomplishment of that mission as pastors. So I want to ask a question that I have never asked at Hope before. And it's a question I don't want you to answer out loud, but I want you to wrestle with it. And, and to be honest, in studying this passage of Scripture this week, I, I realize I probably should have already asked this. Is God calling you to pastor? You see, where pastors come from is churches just like this. There are some of you God has brought to himself, and he's raising you up, and God is calling you to pastor. And let me tell you what I believe. I believe that God is going to raise up pastors out of our fellowship who can multiply multicultural churches to expand God's kingdom out of the overflow of intimacy with Christ. I believe that. I know what some of you are thinking right now. Some of you, when I said, is God calling you to be a pastor? Some of you said, oh, not me. <laughs> Let me tell you what, that's what I said. <laughs> but there's some of you who heard me ask that question. And as soon as I ask that question, 20 years from now, you're going to be telling the story of sitting here this morning when you heard the Spirit of God in an undeniable way grab a hold of your heart and call you to preach the gospel. Pastors are called by God. Let me give you a second statement. Pastors are given to the church. Pastors are called by God and pastors are given to the church. In verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 5, he writes to them and says, I'm writing to the elders among you. The elders among you. He's writing to the church and he addresses these pastors who are a part of these fellowships. How did they get that position as pastor? Well, simply stated, the church recognized them as God's gift to them to serve them in that way. One of the, the beautiful things about the way God calls people to ministry is that when God is calling you, it will always be affirmed by the local church that you're a part of. If the local church around you is not affirming God's call that you say that you have, you need to begin to question whether or not you really heard God speak. God always affirms His call through the local church that you are a part of. In the New Testament, it was always the local church that set these men apart for this role and this function. Here, these brothers who are leading the church here that Peter is writing to, or the churches that Peter is writing to, these churches had recognized these men as God's gift to them, and they'd set them apart to serve. Let me read it more specifically over in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul is writing about this, and listen to what he says. 
we got to move through this part quickly, but listen to what he said. He says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. That's Ephesians 4, 7. And he's writing about the general principle that we've all been gifted with spiritual gifts, like we talked about with the watering can a couple of weeks ago. But as he moves on through this passage, down in verse 11, he begins to talk about not just spiritual gifts, but some spiritually gifted men that have been given. Look what he says. And in verse 11, he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work. Here's what he says. All of us have been gifted, but he gave some to the church to equip those who've all been gifted to accomplish the work of the ministry or the mission of the gospel, which is to make disciples in the world. So pastors are given to the church. Listen to what John MacArthur says. He says, to each believer, he gives special gifts of divine enablement. And to the church overall, he gives specially gifted men as leaders. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, the church voted on its new pastor? How many of you ever been in a church where you've heard that said before? Well, the church voted on its new pastor. Can I, can I be honest with you? That's really a bad use of language. Because here's what really happens. What a church is really doing is not voting on a pastor. A church is affirming that they recognize the Holy Spirit has given that particular pastor to lead them. That's what a church is doing. I believe with all of my heart, I believe with all of my heart that I am pastoring my last church, that God put me here, that God planted my family here, and that this is the last church I will will go from pastor at Hope Church to whatever address God gives me in heaven, that I'm pastoring my last church. But, but one day, One day, I'm going to be watching the UNLV Rebels basketball team and be so into that game that I'm going to have a heart attack. Or one day, I'm going to be out on a street corner somewhere, and some bus is going to run me flat over. At some point, I will not be the pastor here at Hope. When that happens, you will begin a process. And our church will walk through a process. And I want you to hear me say something. When you're in that process, it is not about preaching ability or style. It is not about somebody's charisma. It's not about somebody's personality. When you are in that process, it is about identifying by the Holy Spirit of God's power whom God is giving as a leader to lead this fellowship to accomplish the mission of making disciples in the world. We've made this thing of finding a pastor all about a... It's like a popularity contest. And it's not about popularity. It's not about somebody's ability to communicate. It's not about whether you like them as a teacher or you can identify with them personally. It's about, is that the man that God has given our fellowship to lead us to accomplish the mission of making disciples in the world? That's how God gives a man his church. I thank God for every pastor on our team here at Hope. I thank God for every pastor on our team. I do. I thank God for them. 
one of the things that's interesting, this term elder, as it's used in the Bible, it's always used in plural. In each church, there was a multiplicity of these pastors, meaning that it was never God's design for this contemporary thing that we see in our culture that's a cult of personality where there's one guy and everything revolves around him. From the very beginning of the church, it's always been God's design to give to his church a multiplicity of leaders for the accomplishment of the mission. And so I thank God for every one of the pastors pastors here at Hope. And I want you to hear me say something publicly on their behalf. You need to understand, here's what the scripture teaches us. God has given them by his grace to our fellowship as gifts of the Lord. They're gifts. God's called them and he's given them to us as a church. Now, here's the application. Because of that, we should all honor our pastors. We should honor them. And let me tell you something. I thank God for you. I have never been in a church where I felt more love, and I know all of our pastors would say this, more love and more honor and more respect from the people that we get the privilege to serve than we do here at Hope Church. I thank God for you. And I want you to know something. It is not like this everywhere, and I already have that T-shirt. So I mean it when I say it. I thank God for the pastors, but I thank God for the people that we get to pastor because you are a blessing in our lives. Let me read you a couple of scriptures about this principle. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look at it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, look what he says. But we request you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you And have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly. That that phrase, very highly, it's the exact same Greek phrase in Ephesians 3.20 where he says exceedingly abundantly above and beyond. That's the same exact Greek phrase. Very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. Let me read you another one. 1 Thessalonians, or excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 says, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. You see, our response, when we recognize God has called pastors and God has given those pastors as gifts to our church, then our response then to our pastors is we want to honor them and respect them and love them as gifts that God has given to us. If you get all that, say amen. Let me give you a third principle. It's a little awkward to teach that, but because here's what I just said I'm a gift. That's a little weird to say. <laughs> Stop. Number three. You see what I mean, though? That's kind of awkward to teach. That's why. Yes, it's just tough. Especially when he closes with this thing on humility that we're going to get to next week, right? Number three. Pastors serve. That's an important word. They serve by leading. They're not called first to lead. They're called to serve. Pastors serve by leading the church to accomplish its mission. What's the mission? To make disciples. 
Last words Jesus said, go make disciples of all the nations. At Hope, our mission is to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. What is that? To make disciples, people who follow Christ. Relationship with God, relationship with one another, relationship with the world. Abide, connect, share. That's our mission. God has called our pastors, and he's given us to the fellowship to serve you as brothers and sisters in Christ by leading us all to accomplish the mission. And with the three words that he uses, he gives us three insights into what this servant leadership looks like. And I'll close with these. First of all, they lead by example. That's the word elder. The word elder here is a word that emphasizes spiritual maturity. It was a word that was borrowed from both Jewish and Greek culture. In both Jewish and Greek culture, the term elder referred to someone who those in the community looked up to for leadership because of the example they had set for others to follow. Pastors are to lead by example. Henry Blackaby said it this way, There is no greater source of influence for spiritual leaders than the manifest presence of God. In their lives. We're to lead by example. It's a powerful reminder. That in ministry. The primary call on my life. Is not to ministry. The primary call on my life. Is to intimacy. And ministry. Is what he does. Out of the overflow. Of intimacy. Had the privilege this week. Thank you for your prayers. I, I preached, first of all, Monday morning and then again Tuesday night to over 7,000 pastors who were gathered in Columbus, Ohio. It was our, our denomination's annual gathering of pastors, our annual convention. And I was asked to preach on that Monday morning under the theme, He Must Increase. And I taught this principle that I just shared with you that God's primary call on the life of a pastor is not to ministry. It's to intimacy. And here's the principle I gave them. Look on the screen. The primary call on my life is not to do something for Jesus. The primary call on my life is to be with Jesus. And as you study the Gospels, you will find Jesus, listen to this, he often walked away from opportunities to minister, to pursue intimacy with the Father. Look at all the times in the God. So here's what that means. There will be times that your pastors will have to say no in order to say yes to intimacy with Jesus. And let me tell you something. It's one of the hardest things to do in ministry because everything you say no to is good stuff. Every no is good stuff. Let me tell you what I've resolved in my heart. It's what the Lord gave me years ago in ministry. When I lay my head down tonight, as long as I please Him, it does not matter who I displease. But if I displease Him, it does not matter who I please. So there will be times that your pastors... And listen, you need to know when we say no, it breaks our heart to say no. But study the Gospels. Jesus said no. He walked away from crowds to go be with the Father. And let me tell you something. If Jesus needed to, your pastors really need to. 
They lead by example. Number two, they lead by shepherding. They lead by shepherding. The word shepherd here in verse number two, he says shepherd the flock of God. It's a word in classical Greek that includes the whole of a shepherd's care. William Barclay says this about this word. Barclay's a great linguistic scholar, not a great theologian, but a great linguistic scholar. Look what he says. The great characteristic of the shepherd is his selfless care and his sacrificial love for the sheep. Let me give you some expressions of shepherding. They feed the sheep. As a shepherd, you are to feed the sheep. That's what Paul was writing about in 2 Timothy chapter 3 when Paul wrote these words to to Timothy. Timothy was a young man called of God to do ministry. And Paul's writing to him a letter about ministry. And listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And look what he said to him. I solemnly charge you. And as if that statement wasn't enough, look how thick he lays it on. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Here's what he charged him to do. Verse 2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. And I love this part because you've got to have it as a pastor. With great patience. Because they're not going to all get it on round one. And instruction. We have too many pastors today who have abdicated their responsibility of preaching the word and settled for the peddling of philosophy and feel-good theology. You need to understand something at Hope. There may be times you don't like us, but you need to know something. We have a calling on our lives to open this book. And week in and week out, it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what my philosophy is. It doesn't matter what Pastor Tom or Travis or Brian or anybody else thinks about something. What matters is what does God say in his book. And as a shepherd, we have a responsibility to feed the sheep through the word of God. Shepherds feed. Let me tell you something else shepherds do. They, they protect the sheep against the wolves. That's what a shepherd does. There are wolves out there who would bring bad theology and bad doctrine. Our job as pastors is to be a shepherd to protect the sheep. Our job as shepherd means to go after those sheep that wander away. That's what a shepherd does. When we see people that are drifting in their walk with God, our job is to confront them and to lovingly bring them back into the fellowship. That's what a shepherd does. He leads by shepherding. We'll talk some more about that next week. Number three, they lead by watching over. That's the word exercising oversight, that episkopos. comes from a Greek word, skopeo. We get our English word scope from it. It's the idea of, of looking at something with great attention. This phrase, exercising oversight, speaks to the responsibility of guardianship. As pastors, we have been entrusted by God with a flock, and we are responsible to watch over, to give attention to, to keep our eye on. One of the most profound and sobering verses in all of the Bible about the pastor-people relationship is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. And it speaks to this issue of watching over. 
It's one of the most profound verses to me and sobering verses. It's a sobering word for pastors, but it's a sobering word for the people. Look what he says. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Here's the sobering part for a pastor. For they keep watch over your souls. Let me tell you what that means to us. One day, as pastors of Hope Church, this team will give an account to God for the souls of the men and women that call this their church home. I'm I'm just telling you something. That is a sobering. That's why where he says here, keep watch, that word keep watch there is literally a Greek word. It's it's a Greek word that that begins a a group neo. It begins with the word ab, which means without. And the second part of that word means sleep. Without sleep, they're to keep watch over the souls. There is a burden that God gives his men when he gives them to a church for the souls of those that they are watching over. But then look what he said. They'll give an account. Then he says to you, the people, let them do this with joy and not with grief. For this would be unprofitable for you. Here's what he's saying. Rejecting God's spiritual authorities is a dangerous way to live your life. It made me think of the verse in Proverbs where the writer of Proverbs said to the shepherd, Know well the condition of your flock and pay attention to your herds. There's no way in a church like Hope, and listen, there's no way in a church like the one in Jerusalem in the book of Acts. On day one, 3,000 people got saved. They were bigger than us day one. There's no way in a church like Hope that when he says, know well the condition of your flocks, he means know everybody. Listen, one of the most difficult things about pastoring a larger church is you just don't get to know everybody. It's hard. It breaks our heart because we're all very relational. God's called us to be involved in people's lives. You don't get to do that, and it's hard. So when he says know well the good, he's not saying that we're to know everybody in the church. What he's saying is we're to know the health and condition of the flock. And that implies sitting before the Lord and praying over. And I want you to know something. Every morning, every morning, the pastors and staff team of this church gather at 8.30 every morning and for half an hour every day. We pray for you. Every day. If you're ever up here at 8.30, you're welcome to come in and join us. 8.30 a.m., Monday through Friday, first 30 minutes. And here's what I tell them all the time. Maybe the most important thing we'll do all day, we've done in this last 30 minutes. Why? Because we're to know well. The only way to know well is to hear God speak. The only way to hear God speak is to be in His presence. Pastors are called by God. Pastors are given to the church. And pastors are to serve by leading the church to accomplish its mission.